your dreams. All right, Todd. Well, let's let's explore a little bit uh, about the nature of these marriages. What can you, you know? What can you tell us about the, Was there a relationship? Was there a romantic relationship? Was there a friendship? Were there visits? You know, what do we know, if anything, about the nature of these? Or were they just purely spiritual or on paper with no meaning? What can you tell us about the nature of these marriages? Well, um, I uh, I have a term for Utah polygamous marriages, and I call it practical polygamy. And polygamy was lived in the open, and Mormon after 1852, Mormons were open about polygamy. And um, and so, anyway, you have this later polygamy that I call practical polygamy, and then in Nauvoo, you have what I call, I don't know what you would call it, secret polygamy, I guess. And because it was secret, it, it could not be lived in a practical way. So, in other words, Joseph Smith could, you know, could not openly visit his wives as wives. Okay, so he did visit them, but he did it secretly. Uh, the wives were not publicly announced in Nauvoo, but again, just as in Kirtland, there were there was a small group of people who knew about Joseph Smith's polygamy and had been introduced to it. And so there was kind of like this circle within within the uh, you know, Nauvoo, the culture at Nauvoo, the community at Nauvoo that did know about the polygamy, but it it couldn't be practiced polygamy um, publicly. Um, later, because of the because of the controversy with the RLDS Church, um, the RLDS some RLDS people said that Joseph Smith uh, never that these never were actual marriages because Joseph Smith didn't consummate them. There was no sexuality, and so some of these women um, explicitly said that there were sexual relations. Uh, so, you know, at least according to what the women said, there were sexual relations with these marriages. Uh, one woman left an affidavit that her child, who was raised with a different name, was actually the child of Joseph Smith. So, however, um, it was secret in Nauvoo, and it's interesting, it, it was often quite secret still into Utah, and because of this controversy with the RLDS Church, it it became documented more than it would have been documented. Right. Um, so that's the best I can tell you about that. There's a lot of things we would like to know more about polygamy, but because of what these women said in autobiographies and in affidavits, you know, we, we kind of know the framework. We know that Joseph Smith visited them, you know, and according to the women, there were sexual relations, and that's you know, that fits in with later polygamy also. In later polygamy, one of the reasons for polygamy was to to have lots of children. You know, it's a standard Mormon thing. So I think that was part of, you know, Nauvoo polygamy also. And and were you able to find any credible evidence of actual offspring? Uh, this one... Um, this one affidavit by Josephine Fisher... Uh, uh, I think is good evidence. I accept it, uh, where she says that her mother on her deathbed told her that she was actually the child of Joseph Smith, um, even though she had been raised as uh, 
uh, Josephine Lyon. Um, so I, I find that very good evidence. Um, Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner said she knew of two or three people who were raised who were Joseph Smith's children, but they were raised under other names. And unfortunately, she didn't give us names, but she's a credible witness. She was a wife of Joseph Smith. And so, you know, the secrecy of Nauvoo polygamy kind of continued on into Utah, but um, so we don't know everything, but we, we do know somewhat about uh, his marriages. Do, do we know um, who else uh, was was allowed to practice during this Nauvoo time? Uh, yeah, and again, I rec I recommend a, an article by George Smith. It appeared in Dialogue, and since then, an article by Gary Brugera has appeared. And they both look at um, polygamy in Nauvoo, including Joseph Smith, but um, including other people also. And there was a there was a group there was a group of people who had who were part of this polygamy inner group, and they started to marry and have children in Nauvoo and. William Clayton is one example. Uh, Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, um, some people who are less well known. Um, Joseph Bates Noble, who's one of my relatives, and was the one who performed the first marriage of Joseph Smith and Eliza Beeman on April 5, 1841. Um, so polygamy began to be practiced not by just by Joseph Smith, but by other people also in Nauvoo. And it, it seems like some of the the most prominent people who you'd think would know didn't know. Um, is that is that true as well? Well, in, in the Nauvoo period. Yeah, and also in the Kirtland period. And Joseph was very selective in who he shared polygamy with, and I think he must have sensed that some people would not accept it, and so he did not share it with them, and other people he must have, he might have sensed that they would accept it. Um, who who are the notables that you can think of in Nauvoo who were out of the polygamy loop, at least for a significant amount of time? Do you want to come to mind? Rigdon is one really notable person. Right. And who was the, uh, what was he, first counselor? Yeah. Yeah. First counselor in the first presidency. And Joseph Smith proposed to his daughter without Rigdon's knowledge and um, Nancy. His daughter rejected Joseph Smith, and um, so that really caused uh, uh, a split between Sidney Rigdon and, and Joseph Smith, just li almost like, quite a bit like earlier, Joseph Smith and, and Oliver Cowdery had had a split. And um, so he's one example. Um, the, the apostles tended to to accept Joseph Smith's polygamy, you know, led by Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball. But the High Council in Nauvoo, which was very important, a lot more important than in modern Mormonism, uh, people in the High Council were split. And uh, the local state presidency, again, was, was very important. They were like general authorities. And they were split. And... Um, so it was a major cause of of um, conflict in in Nauvoo. Sure. 
Now, just briefly, you know, one of the most important, significant uh, characters in the Nauvoo period is also one of the least well-known, and that's John C. Bennett. Uh, what can you tell us about it, uh, his his involvement in this and, um, you know, whether it had anything to do with his uh, disaffection or disaffiliation and whether there's any credible documentation that counters what the claims were, which was that he was doing uh, uh, lots of adulterous things without approval. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, in my book, I focused on certain elements, and I did not fo- even focus on Joseph Smith. I only focused on Joseph Smith when he was, when he was, um, you know, part of the story of these women I was writing about. And as a result of this, I did, you know, I have not researched John C. Bennett, you know, hmm. but I have, I know the basic stories. There's actually a biography of him. And um, he he came into to Nauvoo and almost immediately he became a very close confidant of Joseph Smith. And I believe he became an assistant president. Yes. And, um, and it was very influential on Joseph Smith and helped helped get the Nauvoo Charter. And but then um, evidently he he had a wife that he hadn't told anyone about, and he started having affairs with women. And um, so he he eventually was kicked out of the church. And so. Um, that's in a nutshell. I mean, it's more complex than that. And evidently, he he was telling people that he was had been authorized by Joseph Smith to have these relationships with women, and, and evidently Joseph Smith denied that. And um, so um, there was a that was a real problematic time because then John C. Bennett wrote an expose uh, of, of Mormonism and and. Polygamy, and evidently Joseph Smith stopped having marriages for a while after uh, Bennett split from the church. Okay, that's the best I can tell you off the top of my head. No, oh, sure. He, he really isn't part of my book. No, that, that that's fine. I was just uh, wanted to throw that in and see uh-huh. uh, what what you could confirm or not confirm about that. Uh-huh. By the way, at some point, ask me a question about what what are some of the other good books on polygamy. Um, Maybe you know, at the end. okay, <laughs> I'll do that. I'll do that. Okay. So, um, you, the title of your book in sacred loneliness clearly refers to how the women are feeling about this whole deal. Um, uh-huh. do, do, do you have, uh, thoughts or things to share about how the Nauvoo women were feeling about it? Or is that mostly about sort of the Utah, um, uh, women and the, and the Utah um, polygamy? And again, um, this allows me to say that I looked at each of these women and I uh, took them from birth through their Mormon experience, early Mormon experience in Kirtland and Nauvoo. But then I kept going with them back into Utah after Joseph Smith's death and their other marriages they had. And a lot of them married Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball. And I went with them to their deaths. So in other words... I have full biographies of, of each of these women, and um, 
which are just wonderful stories. Um, they had wonderfully interesting lives, and um, they were married to Joseph Smith for only a small part of their life. You know, like a lot of them were married in 1842, and so they were only married to him for like a year and a half. And after that, they had long, momentous lives in Mormonism. Um, so, and uh, your question is, did they have these feelings of loneliness in Utah? Only in Utah, or did they have them in Nauvoo also? And um, I, I believe it was more when they were living in practical polygamy okay. in Utah. Okay. However, I think some of the same patterns might have been there in early polygamy, just because well, what would it be like to be married to a man and um, who had 32 other wives? Right. Um, I think that um, you would have been really limited in the time you could spend with him. And because it was, you know, secret polygamy, uh, you, you would even be more limited. So yeah. um, I'm, I think it must have been very difficult for some of those women. Sure. In, in Nauvoo. So um, let's talk briefly about sort of how this uh, Joseph Smith Nauvoo polygamy story ends, at least uh, for Joseph. Uh, I remember reading, I believe it was in Brody's book, the allegation that well, well William Law was a um, second counselor in the first presidency and that while William wasn't around, uh, or, or maybe William came back from a meeting or something he was at and found Joseph with his wife, and that later his wife told William that Joseph had propositioned her or something like that. Um, and, and I've also heard allegations that Joseph liked to send people on missions to foreign countries so that then he could um, propose to their wives um, polygamously as well. But talk, talk if you briefly can about that notion that 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 might even be fathomable. But then how this led to an unraveling for Joseph and how fundamental polygamy happened to be in in his martyrdom. Um. Yeah, in the case of William Law, he he's one of these uh, another example of one of these high church leaders who split with Joseph Smith. You know, at least partially because of polygamy, and uh, there is evidence that um, his wife accused Joseph Smith of of proposing to her, and she turned him down. And obviously, um, this would uh, for the husband this would um, cause a, a real rupture in friendship, and so he he left the church and uh, be. And he helped publish the Nauvoo Expositor, which dealt partially, at least, with Joseph Smith's polygamy. And Joseph Smith uh, caused the Nauvoo Expositor to be destroyed. And um, and because of this, this is what caused the, the non-Mormons to request that he stand trial, because he helped caused the destruction of the novel expositor. And because he was taken captive to stand trial, then he was he was killed by the mob. So um, the polygamy was involved there. Um, the polygamy, um, the, the proposition to 
William Law's wife, if you believe William Law's wife. So you can look at that evidence and see if you, you know, believe it's true. Um, but the denials that started very early on in 1835, the public denials of polygamy continued through uh, the end of Joseph's life. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's right. He publicly, uh, in one public speech, he said, people accuse me of having, you know, eight wives. Look, here, I can only see one. And um, so that's true. There was... That same principle. I just have to ask, you know, I, I could see him, I, I could see Joseph building some really close friendships where he could get a sense that someone would be open or not to their daughter or their wife or whatever. But what, in, what, how could you explain him with like Sidney Rigdon or William Law taking it that, that far? What, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it's explainable in in really simple terms why he would take those risks that um other than that he truly believed that this is what God wanted him to do how else could you explain the risks that he was taking with so many men that might be inclined to not uh take those propositions very favorably said he married 11 women who were married to other men and obviously that could be a very dangerous thing um, and it could cause your closest friends to become enemies obviously so as you say it's very dangerous um, uh, if, if you're a Mormon if you're a you know and there's different kinds of Mormons if you're let's say a conservative Mormon you know I guess you would have to say that you believe that uh, Joseph Smith did everything, you know, under the um, guidance and maybe orders of God. And you have the story of the angel with the, the sword. Uh, if you were, you know, a non-Mormon, you'd have to say you'd think he was very reckless, I think. <laughs> very, very reckless and almost... Um, well, reckless would be a good term. Um, so, you know, and looking at it from from the viewpoint of a conservative Mormon and from the viewpoint of a non-Mormon, you see it's very different points of view. Yeah. And um, I think another way that I've heard some Mormons, you know, who you might call a little more liberal, express it is they, some of them have, I've heard people you know, talk about how they try to come to understand it by saying they believe Joseph Smith was given the revelation on polygamy, but then he made possibly made mistakes in how he how he practiced polygamy, and um, and um, if you think about it, um, polygamy you know it has a long long history in you know the Semitic culture, but it had been gone from Western culture for a long time, and so it was all brand new, you know, learning how to practice it, you know, in a, in a, in a practical way. It would be kind of, you know, you would just be, exp you know, exploring it, 
from the bottom up. Right. And um, and for that reason, I think often it was very, very difficult for the women and the men. Yeah. So an observer has a range of things they can interpret. It can be that Joseph was doing exactly what God told him every step of the way, that he was feeling out uh, the situation, trying to figure out the right way to implement it, to he sort of was out of control or, or, or completely reckless and you know irresponsible with what he was doing. There's just a big range well, of... Well, that's, that's how I'm sure some non-Mormons would yeah, interpret it. Right. Okay, so... So it's, but it's safe to say that that um, the polygamy thing was a was a very um, significant uh, factor in his martyrdom and in Hiram's martyrdom. Hiram it was, was it was a factor. And Hiram was was Hiram polygamous as well. He was a polygamist. Yeah. Okay. He 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 was one of these who who at first you know kind of rejected polygamy, but eventually he accepted it. Okay. And. Um, and so the martyrdom happens. Uh, the Nauvoo expositor comes, you know, had come out. Uh, the jig is up. Uh, the word's out. The persecution hits hard. Uh, fast forward a couple years later, and Brigham Young uh, ends up winning the succession battle versus Signe Rigdon and takes the Mormons to, uh, to Salt Lake City. Um, right. What can you tell us about? you know, the flourishing of polygamy under Brigham Young? Well, it's, um, they were living it openly. Um, uh, it was very much practiced among the, the leaders. Um, the common man didn't practice it so much, but it was viewed as kind of a, a religious duty. So sometimes when a man was given an office, like he was made a state president, and he was a monogamist, his leaders said, well, now it's your duty, you know, to, you've got to set an example of, um, you know, of being a polygamist. And also they preached that you needed to practice polygamy to enter the highest, um, highest part of heaven. And so if you were ambitious, if you were religiously, you know, felt that you wanted to get to the highest levels of heaven, you would want to be a polygamist. And, um... Just to, just to read a quote, I, I have from the General Discourses, Brigham Young saying, The only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Others attain unto a glory and may even be permitted to come into the presence of the Father and the Son, but they cannot, they cannot reign as kings in glory because they had blessing offered unto them and they refused to accept them. Thought I'd throw that yeah, in. you get a lot of quotes like that. So it was not only it it went from being something that Joseph felt he had to practice to something that uh, the most righteous men in the church with the most status uh, had little option but to practice if they wanted to live in God's presence forever and attain the highest state of exaltation. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. and according to William Clayton, at least Joseph Smith taught that. You needed to practice polygamy to enter the highest part of heaven. So it becomes a core fundamental part of our gospel, yeah, so to speak. It became a very important part of the, of the Mormon religion. Okay. You know, and at the same time, you have all of these practical issues, and you have all of, 
you know, every polygamous family was different, and every polygamous husband was was different, and there were lots of different motivations for marrying women, and we talked a little about um, some of them earlier on. Sometimes you have these dynastic alliances, and uh, sometimes you have uh, a bishop wanting to offer protection to a single woman in his ward, and um, sometimes you have... um, strong attraction between a man and a woman and it might be spiritual attraction okay but it was that's the closest to romantic you know and it, I, I think there was an element of romantic attraction sometimes in these polygamous marriages also so you have a lot of different motivations for entering polygamy you know but I think central is that that religious reason hmm. uh, and you have every family is different and so sometimes some families, some men were more successful at it than others. And um, so you have some families where it seems like it was quite dysfunctional and other families where, you know, they did the best they could to make it work and, you know, were pretty good at it. So tell us about, get, get, paint for us the picture of a, a polygamy success story where it was functional and where it seemed to be healthy and even a positive thing, uh, and then um, and then in contrast that with sort of when polygamy went wrong, what uh-huh. what that what that family looked like and how that manifested itself. Okay, um, well, for a positive example, I like to give the example of um, Dudley Levitt, and you can read a biography of Dudley Levitt by. Juanita Brooks, called On the Ragged Edge. And she presents a quite positive view of polygamy um, in that book. And um, you know, it talks about how important his children were and, and how he treated his wives well and um, how he was a good man, hard worker. Um, so I think that's that's one book that kind of gives you a fairly positive view of polygamy. Um, uh, one example of polygamy where um, it shows the problems with it is, uh, in, it's from my book, you could read then, and you don't need to read my book, you can go to the diaries of um, Emily Partridge, who had married Joseph Smith in Nauvoo. Actually, she's an example of where she felt that loneliness in Nauvoo, but later she felt it with Brigham Young also. And Brigham Young married 56 wives. And so... I heard this bizarre quote from Brigham Young the other day. I don't know if it's true, but it basically said, you'll find few men in the world who enjoy less the company of women than I. Is that... (laughs) Have you heard that quote before? I might have. I don't don't remember. Okay, so that's not something that sticks out. I don't remember specifically. Okay, anyway, so Um, she was one of the... 50-plus wives of Brigham Young. Yeah, and so, you know, when you just think about it practically, you know, how if you have that many wives, how much attention can you give to any one wife? Mm-hmm. And in addition, he had um, favorite wives, which is one of the patterns you see in, in polygamy in Utah. And again, when you think of that, well, that's very good for the favorite wife, but what about these women who aren't the favorite wife? You know, they have even less time. 
with with their husband. And then you think of Brigham Young as a very busy church leader also. And and so Emily Partridge really had a hard time with Brigham Young. And um, her, her diaries kind of present a very distant relationship she had with him. And, you know, it's just, it caused her great anguish that she felt like he wasn't close to her or to her children. And she had a hard time even getting what she felt was basic financial support from him. So um, that's an example of, uh, of, of the loneliness women could have. Well, let me shoot you some rapid-fire questions dealing with sort of the the typical, stereotypical um, conceptions that people have about polygamy. Well, okay. Tell us, tell us, you know, what percentage... At its peak, what percentage of Mormon men have you found were were engaged in polygamy? Well, this is one of the interesting questions about polygamy, and it all depends on how you, you know, how you set up. What's a Mormon? What's an active Mormon? Right, or if you say families, what percentage of families? Oh, right. You know, but I think what people would agree now would be something like twenty to thirty percent. Of Mormons were polygamous. So Let's much more 20, than the much more than the five percent. Yeah, you get these figures like only one percent, you know, were were polygamous, and that's just flat wrong. Yeah, that's one of the myths about polygamy that's flat wrong. It was more like twenty to thirty percent of the men. And of the men, you know, and that differs from town to town. Right, it differed. You know, um, you know, some decades there were more polygamous marriages than other decades, but. Um, you know, 20 to 30 percent, that's what scholars have, have agreed is about something like that. Um, Kathleen Danes has written a book called um, More Wives Than One. She's a BYU professor, um, specializes in family history. And I think that's that's a figure that she, she has something like that in her book. Okay. There's another uh, common notion that the first wife and maybe subsequent wives had the right of refusal that a husband had to get permission from at least the first wife, if not subsequent ones before he could take on uh, another one. Okay. Now in theory that that is true. In theory, they kind of had this idea that the husband should check with the first wife and the first wife and that he shouldn't go ahead unless the first wife agreed in practice you know, it really didn't work out that way because if the first wife didn't want him to take another plural wife, um, incredible, a lot of religious pressure was put on her. And so in many cases, the first wife was opposed to it, but just went along with it anyway. And in a number of cases, the husband didn't check with the first wife. So that was kind of an ideal, but often it was not followed. Right. And... What would you say the average number of plural wives that the average um, polygamist would have? Um, or can you even say? Well, remember that the more elite you are, the, the more likely you are to be a polygamist, and the more wives you were likely okay. to have. So you have Brigham Young with like 56 wives. Okay. However, so the great majority of Mormon men who are polygamists we're, you know, we're less elite than, obviously, Brigham Young or the Apostles. So it's more common for, for you know, a, a husband to have two or three or four wives. Okay, however, the more elite you were, generally, the more wives you, you had. 
And in Utah polygamy, you you were responsible for financially supporting your spouse, all your spouses. Oh yeah, I mean this was standard idea of any responsible husband should yeah should support his his wives and families. Did the church ever provide a did the church ever provide provide support? You know, a stake president or whatever, would he get extra help to help? Uh, you know, it's like, okay, I'm a stake president. You want me to practice polygamy? Give me a little help here so that I can afford it. Do you know if there was ever any financial remuneration for, for someone? I'm not sure how much formal support there was for polygamists, um, but I, I think that often they called men to positions when they were successful, already successful. And so the idea was that they would be able to provide for their wives. And they continued often to be businessmen after they had been called as church leaders. And so that would, you know, it, it helped to be a, you know, church leader, to be a successful businessman, obviously, in, in Utah. Um, however, sometimes um, it was very difficult for men to provide for their wives, and wives sometimes felt that they were not provided for adequately. And um, there's some examples of that in my book. Um, Eliza Partridge, who's the sister of Emily Partridge, is an example of that. She was married to um, Amasa Lyman. So that's an example, again, from my book. The depth of your dreams of your wishes.